0: Um, As some of you know, um, some of you don't know me, some of you do. Um, Our life, my wife and I, our life has been full of travel. Um, We were involved in the pioneering of a church in Exeter in the late 60s and early 70s and then well we moved to Australia and we began a church the Lord began to work in our home in Australia and we saw the Lord raise up a church there and intermingled with all this has been much travel uh, so that uh, I just got back from Asia um, about two days before the lockdown began and uh, (laughs) so we've been in one place or I've been in one place and after about eight weeks I suddenly realized it was the longest period I had been in one bed and one place since 1994. 26 years. And through those years many countries, many churches, many places and and all the, all the while I'm a student, I'm still learning and I'm observing and going to countries where the church is dead or almost certainly moribund, and going to some places where things are really fresh and the Lord is moving. Um, The variety is incredible. Uh, And one of the things that I'm very conscious of is that what we need is to understand the day in which we are now living. Because the day in which we are now living is not the 1960s. Many, some of you were not even around in the 1960s. And if you will excuse just a little bit of 20th century church history, which is always set against the background of international history, and you will all realize that in the late 19th century, liberal thought, progress was to the fore of everything. We are making progress. The world is curing itself of its problems. Then, in those days, late 19th century, early 20th, there was a build-up to the beginning of the 20th century of an increasing hunger for God to move in the new millennium, which is the 20th century. There was a great desire... And there was a quest in many hearts, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in places like Norway, Australia, where people were thirsting for the Lord. Because some of them were alert to the fact that it was all a lie that the liberal agenda the promise of unending progress internationally was a lie and they knew that somehow it would be shaken and you will all know that the shakings began to come 1914, 18, First World War And it was shattering for society in general. And the church got shaken. So if I spring through, uh, just to comment with this, that one of the things that happened in the freshness that God began to bring, it is the habit of the Lord that before some real shock comes in general society, he begins to waken up some of his people. Not all of them, but some of them. They begin to become awakened and alert. Something is happening. That happened. Some of you will have heard of the Pentecostal Church, which really came into being 1904, 1905, and unfortunately it became insular. But it was something that God sent. Some of you will probably know a little bit about a man a little later on named Campbell Morgan who was in London who had a great impact in the United Kingdom something that was called the uh what uh, the Keswick Convention where people were seeking for God to refresh the churches and So the Lord sustained his church and then the Second World War came along. It's necessary for us to grasp a little of this. During the Second World War there was at least two groups praying. They recognised the power of Nazism, fascism. They saw that it was set to destroy society and the church in particular. Some of these people were praying in the southeast area of England led by a man named Austin Sparks. Some of you may have heard of him. And he wrote books, but he, there were people who prayed, and uh, quite remarkable how God led them to pray at significant times that turned Hitler's demonic activity on its head so that Hitler made significant wrong decisions that turned the war in the favour of the Allies. I'm only trying to... You see, church history, church life, is set against the background of what is happening in society, in nations, internationally. And this is important to understand. Another group was praying in South Wales. Some of you know uh, a a building there. It was a Bible college. I don't think it is now. Maybe. I don't remember. But a man named Rhys Howells and others with him were praying. And God laid a burden on their hearts. And all the while, oh Lord, will you please pray? work in such a way to slow down the processes of evil and prepare your church for what is to come. And you know God, as I say, he turned things. And then you come to the 1950s, after the devastation in society, was massive the depression of mind that comes the church begins to drink in unfortunately to the spirit that is pervading the world in which it lives did you realise that? that it is almost uh, unavoidable that what's outside you will seek to impinge upon what is in you and impact you. So that the church, generally, we could say, was somewhat depressed in the 1950s. And yet, slowly, there were individuals, and I was privileged to meet some of them as a young man, men who, again, had a revelatory Eye, a prophetic eye to what was going to come. And then some of you will know that in the late 50s, 59, 60, 61, there was a moving of God's Spirit that later became known as the Charismatic Movement. It was not called the Charismatic Movement. At the beginning, if you want to know it, what it was called, it hardly had a name, but it essentially was based upon the word renewal. The renewal movement, where people were renewed by the Lord. older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And sometimes I wonder... What would have happened? One of the men who was greatly renewed and had a great influence in this country and elsewhere was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had seen a local revival in Wales and then he himself was renewed in the late 60s and saw that God was doing something. And he influenced many ministers, many young pastors... And they they became men of the word, and it's wonderful to think like this. Then you get into so the churches that I was involved with were birthed in the late sixties and the seventies, and God began to move, and it was very full of life, full of God. And then, you come into the 80s, roughly 25 years later, after the beginnings of some of them, and into the late 80s, and you get into second generationism. And now, many of those churches... Are in third generationism. And I won't go in to say anything much except this. First generation, quickened life from God. Vision, prophetic vision, something that is a burning fire inside the leaders. And the best of them are not in any way thinking about themselves. They're in love with God and with his Son and they know the revelation of the Spirit and they're carried by that Spirit. And something is born. It's fresh and it's alive. Then after 20 to 25 years, The prophetic voice, the visionary voice, is gradually replaced by the teacher, the educator. And into the church has come the children of those who were first blessed. And the natural desire of parents to look after. um, You can see their children, you know, nurtured in. And so the children have a rough time sometimes. Very difficult for the children of those who've been alive in the first place. You understand, but you begin to get this teaching, teaching. So, the same truths without the life. Then you come into where we're at now, and of course, you're well into the third generation. And what you've got in the third generation is tradition. Just the traditions. Same words, but tradition, tradition, tradition. First generation, revelation, prophetic ministry, vision. Second generation, education, education. Third generation, tradition. Roughly speaking, this is the reason why there are always something rising in... uh, some people's hearts, oh Lord, move again. Move again. Move by your Spirit again. Because people can't be satisfied with simply education or even going beyond that into tradition. Now we're in such days where you know that one of the things that I heard recently was by a a mission leader, prominent mission leader in this country. And he said this, well, this virus has completely shot to pieces our long-term plans and he seemed to be quite happy about it. And I was really happy to hear him say that and to realize that he was happy about it. And I've heard other things a little bit like that from people where they realize that something the church is now set against a background that is challenging and shaking the things that have been the things that we have become contented with or some people have become contented with and this these days are days of wonderful opportunity Always there are two enemies that we face. One is outward, the other is inward. The outward enemy, of course, is the world in the form that it is taking in our day. History as it is unfolding in our day. And make no mistake about it, we are facing an outward enemy that is distinctly intent on the destruction of the church. Make no mistake about that, but not only the church, anything, the will to power in high places has lost all morality all morality the will to power in the lives of certain politicians, they have lost all morality that has been going on for 60 or 70 years perhaps even longer they are meddling with people's minds so that psychological approaches to things are perverting the way that people think political power has been running rampant, and the aim has been at the Western world, where the legacy of the Christian testimony yet lingered for a while united states the the Christian testimony lingering. Their morality and so on. Let's stamp it out. It would seem to me, and this is simply my observation of things, is that one of the stories that Jesus told, a very simple one, about A farmer who planted seed in his ground and it was good seed. You remember the story? And then at night time, an enemy came and sowed false seed in the same field. As these two sprang up and became visible, Some of the people could discern the difference. The workers discerned the difference. And they went to the master, the owner of the land, and said, Do you want us to pull it down? To pull out the force? No. Let both grow together. Let both grow together until harvest. Then it'll be dealt with. So church, get ready to grow in the midst of the growing enmity. Get ready to grow in the the midst where right adjacent to you and right working in government law uh, will be the force thing God is not going to pluck the force out it's going to grow together unto its harvest, very serious let both grow together it may even be in your household that's a tough one that's a tough one It will certainly be in your workplace. That's a tough one. Let both grow together until harvest. The naked differences will become increasingly visible. You who are farmers will know about this much better than me. Where as things come to ear, come near to harvest it becomes so nakedly obvious what kingdom they are you get me? now this is where we're living, I want to set everything that I want to unburden my heart about in the context of this kind of enmity because I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Just recently, in conversation with two men, and they they said to to me, "Oh, you know, these are difficult days, aren't they?" Um it's, they're strange days, aren't they? And they were discussing this, they're Christians. And, and one of them said, these are the days where we've got to love everybody more. Love everybody more. I said, that's a given. That's a given. Love should never be in question in your heart but I said to them tell me what is the first word of the gospel what's the first word of the gospel and they didn't know I said the first word of the gospel is not love and I said to them what was the first word John said John Baptist repent. Mm. what's the first word Jesus said repent 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 that's what love says you see love should never be in question but all this has a bearing on how churches begin they're not Places for the display of my personality or your personality or your gift or your view of things. They're places that have to be where everything has to begin with nothing. Nothing. Now, I used the word revelation, didn't I? I want uh, you to turn with me into 1 Corinthians first and I just want to pick up I'm not going to go through chapter by chapter but I want to pull out certain things uh, that the church in Corinth had forgotten and they evidently had had a good beginning. But if you go into the first letter of Corinthians, chapter 2. Now, Paul says this, and I just want to fix your eyes on verse 7, where chapter 2, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory the rulers of of this age did not know this wisdom that Paul spoke in a mystery. You know that Paul is different to Peter the Apostle. You know that Paul was different to John. Um, You know that Paul... He's quite amazing. Um, I'll I'll turn you to something in, in 1 Timothy. Just slip over into 1 Timothy, where Paul is talking about himself. All this has a bearing on the way that churches must be beginning. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Where he says this, he's quite wonderful, Paul. And uh, if you look in verse 7 again of chapter 2, just Paul describing himself, he's talking about verse 5 there is one God and one mediator. Between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. How many words did Paul use about himself? He describes himself, verse 7, a preacher. A herald. You know the word preacher? Don't you? It means to herald to declare unequivocally on behalf of another this is not my opinion I'm here declaring unequivocally this truth that I've been commissioned to preach that's preaching it's a special word The word of heralding, declaring a wonderful gospel concerning one God and one mediator. And if I was to go by extension, at this point, which we will do before we're through in this series, if we stick it through. Um, one church, and one body, and one spirit, and one baptism, and one hope, and Can you think of others? One God and Father of all. He's got to father everyone. Otherwise you're not in the church. He's got to father you. He's the Father of all. I'm quoting Ephesians 4. The Father of all who is in you all. (laughs) And Paul came to declare, and he came as an apostle, sent, sent to declare about this one body, one church. You see, we have become so conditioned to Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Brethren, a Baptist, this and that and the other. We become so conditioned to, to accept this. God does not accept it. For Him, He has fathered people who presently are meeting in Roman Catholic churches. I have no doubt about it. I've met them. He has fathered people (laughs) in Baptist churches. He has fathered people. Isn't that wonderful? He's fathered people. You know what fathering means, don't you? What a privilege to be a man and to have the possibility of being a father and God our father isn't it wonderful he has he, now if if my father was to walk in here which would be quite a miracle because he's been (laughs) passed away for 27 years but he was dear, wasn't he, Ginny? Uh, my dad was a dear, dear man. You would know immediately. That's Bernard's father. <laughs> the likeness. Unmistakable. Unmistakable. Skin color. Bored head. Same kind of nose. You know the outward likeness the outward likeness he'd fathered me after the flesh you know isn't that wonderful to to recognize that and uh, isn't it marvelous to realize that God our father fathers us Everyone who's in his church is in his church because he fathered you. He fathered you. You can look at it another way and you can say, well, he, you know, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But sometimes it's really wonderful just to think there's one God and father of us all who is through all and in you all Amen and you can look at one another and as I move around I find the likeness you get me? I find the likeness like Father, like Son. Uh, I'd love to stop on that at this point, but we'll get to that later. But the marks of the one church, like Father, like Son. You know, same life. See, the real church has got the life of God in it. And if you've got the life of God in a church, you don't need much paraphernalia. The more paraphernalia you've got, the more an indicator you haven't got the real life. That's the thing. So Paul says he 'd come to preach this, to declare this good news that God was going to fire the people through His Son by the Holy Spirit among all the nations that puts paid to racial pride, BLM and the whole lot. There is only one race mankind only one race there's at least one doctor here and he'll put me right but skin pigmentation and the differences just go down a fraction of an inch below the skin surface and here is part of the deceit of the enemy Because one of the enemies that works is within the church. And I know churches that are being torn apart by the idea of... Black Lives Matter and arguing about this and that and the other and the other and the other. Let me tell you, every black man's got to repent and every white man's got to repent and every white woman has got to repent and every black woman and every Chinese woman. And one of the things you've got to repent of is your racial pride, your national pride. Pride takes three forms. Pride of race. Pride of face, And pride of grace. You know, because some people say, we've got more grace than you. <laughs> you know, our denomination. You know, pride, pride takes many forms. But you see, we, we all... We all... We all have to come the same way. Paul says he was an apostle, and then he also says he was a teacher. He was a teacher. And he, as he came, he came exposing this mystery, this mystery. I wonder if anyone here could uh, bear testimony that there was a time in your life when as you read this book and you read it and you read it and you read it and you didn't understand it and you couldn't put it all together and yet your heart was hungry and thirsty and then something happened to you where it was like a mystery was opened up to you. You know the word mystery in the Bible is all to do with something being unveiled that was covered. You know the book of the Revelation, reveal means to take the veil away. and. And you'd been reading it and reading it and scratching your head and perhaps looking for words for yourself and so on. And and then something happened where God began to take the veil away and you began to see the church. You began to see And you began to see that it wasn't to do with, well, the real church meets in houses. And it wasn't to do with the real church baptizes in the name of Jesus, or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying these things don't have a bearing, but you began to see it was much more than that. It was something that was a great mystery that God had been hiding in his heart and had never disclosed in any clear way in the Old Testament. He'd hinted at it through his prophets. That something somehow would happen among the nations. Because to them, of course, the Jew, it was exclusively theirs. You know, God was exclusively their God. But there came the time you probably know and i'm i'm assuming that you all know that jesus mentions his church twice both in the gospel of matthew i throw this out to you it takes it, it needs time to talk about it but matthew 16 he says about his church It's to do with the revelation of who I am. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember Peter? And how Peter, Jesus said, Who who do do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And uh, Peter, he said, You're the Christ. You're the Anointed One. You're the Messiah. You're the you're the one we've been looking for. You're Him. And Jesus said to him, "Ah, flesh and blood didn't teach you that. My Father has revealed it to you." Matthew sixteen. My Father's revealed it to you. Something's been going on among you because some of the others said the same thing. If you look at one of the other Gospels, some of the other disciples, they said, Oh, yeah, my Father's been working in you, Peter, and he's been opening your eyes, and you've been seeing, you've been seeing, and at last you've made confession. It's time. It's time, it's wonderful, revelation. The cover's taken away and he says, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the answer to everything. You're the son of the living God. Are you listening to all the words of what Peter said? You're the son of the living God. You know, the background of things like that is that so, to so many of the people God was dead. You know, you're the son of the living God. Tremendous. And he saw and it was revealed to him. Mm. Tremendous. Tremendous. Revelation. That's one of the times Jesus mentioned the church. And you know what he said shortly afterwards? My Father's done this in you. A real revelation that my Father's given you as who I am. That I'm the past, I'm the future, I'm the present. I'm the deliverer. I'm the life. (laughs) You know, my Father's shown it to you, Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. On this rock, I'll build my church. What my Father's shown you, that will become rock in you, Peter. It will become rock in you, what my Father's shown you. And on this rock, I will build my church. Do you know that those apostles on the Pentecostal day became thoroughly fired from heaven? They had fire in their bones and they had life in their spirit and the enemy couldn't put it out. And they grew together in the context of the field in which they lived, which was the Roman field, the cruelest empire that had been seen, and they thrived. <laughs> they thrived. They thrived. They grew in that field until for some of them they were harvested. You know, by the, the Roman sword. They had life in them. You know, that's the thing, revelation. You know, the first martyr. Stones thudding into his body. You, you remember his name, don't you? Stephen. Stephanos. A young man. Do you know what the word Stephanus means? Stephen. If there's a someone has a daughter named Stephanie, it means crown, but not a golden crown. It means a crown that has been woven. Woven. It's a victor's crown. And Stephen had been weaving his crown through his short life. Hallelujah. And you know, he grew to harvest, was the first one that grew to harvest. And he saw, I see, I see the Lord Jesus. He's standing, waiting. He didn't say he's waiting to receive me, but that's what the law was first one, And it grew together in the harvest, this life and many others. Are you picking up my drift as I try to talk uh, in this kind of way? There needs to be more than education, brother, if you're going to live. Sister, if you're going to minister the heart of God among people, among people with faith and with clarity to your neighbours when they're really down and they have no hope and get ready, many of them will not repent but some will. But you know... Then is to be this kind of fire lit in our hearts. Amen. By this kind of activity of our Father begetting us. There is no one in God's church that has not been begotten by the Father. He has to move upon you and me and Father us through the revelation of his Son coming to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not primarily us asking Jesus into our hearts, as the evangelicals say. That is simply a little tip, a little step, And we must not sell people short. I must not sell you short of the truth. My wife, some of you know her, Hazel, she knew nothing about this kind of thing, the way that I'm putting it tonight. But when she was 12 years old, she met God in a real way in the power of the Holy Ghost. The Father, she didn't know anything much about the Holy Ghost. She didn't know much about any of the theories of it. But she saw who Jesus was and the Father begot her and put life in her. That's what he did, by his spirit. And uh, you know, this morning we had a little meeting, it was I enjoyed it very much, and being with the brothers and sisters and the children. You know Ah Isn't it wonderful to have the little king in your heart hidden? You say he's the big king, yes. Yes, isn't it wonderful? I was talking from an Old Testament story. But you know, isn't it wonderful to have Christ in you? That's the thing. And Paul preached it. He was apostle of Christ. And I want to go back into chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians now. And I, I want to bring you to this and where he says in the first chapter, isn't this wonderful? To me, it's very wonderful. Verse 26, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. However is he going to do that? well he's got to fill you with something he's got to fill the fool with something he's got to fill the one who's not very wise with something God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise <clears throat> He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Now, can I say to one or two of you, at least, enjoy your weakness in the right way so that he who is in you, you, you must let him loose. You know, you've heard of might and Luther, haven't you? Of course you have. Do you know what he said to his preachers? One time he said to his preachers, Let the lion loose. What was he talking about? The gospel truth as revealed in Scripture. Let the lion <laughs> loose. You know, some, and I say this to you, in all love, you have the living Christ in your heart. Let him loose. Confess him. Let your ears hear your mouth confessing Christ. Let him loose. Let the river burst. Let the river that has been held down underneath too long let it out. You know, blessed... You know, we live in a world my brothers and sisters, which says, Blessed are the strong, for they shall inherit the earth. They rewrite what Jesus said. Jesus said, Blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For this world, you know I, don't you grieve? Occasionally, I even will go up to a young man who's got muscles that he's developed in the gym, and I will say to him, That's not manhood, you know. That's not real strength. It's interesting the kinds of responses you get. <laughs> you know but we mustn't be afraid and we must let the Lord give us such, you remember I said love should never be in question Mm -hmm. I tell you love can say anything Mm -hmm. but You know, not many, you know, those that are weak. He he says, not many. (laughs) God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing. The things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. When I start to think of that in church, I remember a meeting in a conference many years ago, and I was sitting on the platform with another brother and a lady with a very sweet voice and had been scheduled to sing a song she was a skilled guitarist and she was going to accompany herself then she sang this song it was all about the love of God just the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell she sang this song, three voices. She stopped. Everything was still. We said to her, "Sing it again, sister." And she plucked her guitar and sang the song all the way through again. She stopped. "Please sing it again, sister. This time, put the guitar down. Just sing it. She began to sing it. There were hundreds of people in the meeting. And as she was singing it, people started to come out. Laying on the floor, weeping their hearts out. Demons came out of people. Things began to happen. She finished the song and God worked there. I think one or two of us were still there at one o'clock in the morning trying to help the people whose hearts had been broken open by the love of God that this weak vessel had sung. The thing that was not. You want, God has chosen. God has chosen. Do not be ashamed. This is church. I'm not encouraging anything shabby, casual, stupid, or any, I'm not encouraging anything that is, you know, well, we labor to be unprofessional. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just trying to... This is how God works in his church. And the Corinthians had forgotten it. That's the thing. They'd forgotten it. They'd forgotten it. You know, <clears throat> you, earlier on in the chapter, you notice this with the apostle. That he's he's writing to them and he really loves these people, you know that he you know you've heard of them saying well I'm of I'm of I'm of I'm of you know division in the church you know on different I'm of Apollos I'm of Paul they were arguing like this, and then Paul at the end of verse thirteen chapter one he says, "Was Paul crucified for you?" Or were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptised none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptised in my own name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptised any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to, there's this word again, to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved it is the power of God. God didn't send me to preach, didn't send me to baptize, he says. That was just on the side. He sent me to preach not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And then he says, for the word of the cross. The word of the cross. Message, my Bible says. Your word, your Bible may say word. It's the word logos. Can you tell me in a nutshell, the word of the cross. The word of the cross. You see, is this interesting? Well, go to the cross. Go to the cross. Go to the cross in in the four Gospels. And draw out the words of the cross that dropped from Jesus' mouth. This is the gospel. This is the power. Tell me the first word that dropped from his mouth. It's the first word of the gospel. first word that dropped from Jesus' mouth as he's being nailed. What's the first word? You see, the word of the cross, first word, Father, forgive them. They don't know not what they do. You better remember that when someone's hurt you. They didn't know what they were doing. They did, but they didn't. They didn't know its ramifications. They hardly knew where it came from in their own being. Such is the mystery of iniquity. And what's your responsibility in the Gospel? Oh, Father, forgive them. That's his first word. In the church. That's the first word in the life of the church. And the churches are wrong. So many of the churches are divided because they gossip and they argue and they don't forgive one another. And some people are still remembering stuff from 30 years ago. First word of the gospel. Freeing word, liberating word, delivering word, healing word. Ah, embracing word. Oh, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister. I forgive you, mother. One of the you see the gospel. The church is a place where people live forgiveness first with one another. I mean it these things are so simple and Paul preached them and they'd forgotten them in Corinth and they were bickering one another and even got so stupid to go to court before the heathen instead of saying you can have it brother you know you can have it it's alright let it be things what are things things In contrast to this, it's life. You know, isn't it? What about this wonderful word that Jesus said from the cross today? How does it go on? You'll be with me in This is the gospel. Uh, a, a robber who three hours earlier had been yelling and bawling at Jesus. Check it up. He'd been yelling and bawling and criticizing Jesus and then he heard Jesus, saw Jesus and the blessed grace of of repentance came into his heart and he says, oh remember me when you get into your kingdom, can you feel the difference this man who lived in a kingdom of robbery and stealing and hatred and venom and bitterness that's where he lived and he saw a man living in another kingdom amen oh oh remember me when you come into your kingdom he told the other prisoner off didn't he the other robber off he said no 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 That's not right. And he said, this is the gospel, you see. This is the power of the living church. This is the power. Have you ever hugged anyone who's been punching you and punching you as all the rage is coming out of them? And they're using you as a punch bag. And then their rage turns to weeping and heartbreak because suddenly the love of God seems to wrap them up I hope you see this is church church is from another world church came from somewhere, it came out of Jesus' side it didn't come from some evangelistic mission It came from the broken side of Jesus. That's where the bride comes from. She's of his flesh and of his bone. She's of his substance. Substance. I had a long phone call with a Greek Christian yesterday on the uh, WhatsApp. And he was talking to me about substance. And he said, Bernard, what do you think? You know, Jesus is the same substance as the Father. I said, of course. Of course, Usia it is in Greek. Uzia, same substance. And isn't it wonderful that the substance of God became incarnate? That same life, that same substance. And then that wonderful life was broken open. Amen. He was dead, and the spear went into his side, and out came blood and water. Ah, and from that blood and water, you know it's almost like a symbol that 's where the church is same substance of his flesh, of his bone. Of his substance. Yeah. Haven't we got something to live up to? (laughs) Haven't we got something to slough off? Hey, you Corinthians, slough off your nonsense. What are you doing going back to the old stuff? This is who you are. This is who you are i 'm not going to cut you off, says Paul, just because you 've stopped believing in the resurrection or got it all tangled up i 'll write chapter fifteen to you to try and straighten you out, but i'm not <laughs> I'm not kicking you out of the church that's wonderful, because he knew the church was one. Uh, the word of the gospel this is what we preach. Anyone tell me the last word? It's half past eight. I better stop in a minute. You know. Can you can you remember one of the other words? I, I love the words of the cross. I huh? he says it is finished. It is finished. What a word, eh? What a word. Yeah, what a word. Hallelujah. It, it's finished. Hey. Hallelujah, it's finished. What's finished? What's finished? (laughs) The work you gave me to do, Father, it's finished. What was the work? What was the work that your Father gave you to do? Well, among other things, I had to take Adam away he had to his sin everything that kind of man I had to take him away he had to finish not only did he have to die he had to be buried he had to be buried that species of man you know this is the business of the church that paul preached i love the word of the cross where jesus so tenderly says to his mother this is this is your son son this is your mother ah i tell you how wonderful you know I had to write a very sad email a long one yesterday morning a couple whose domestic bliss is all busted to pieces and I'd been asked by the leader to write to them I know them I've spoken to them quite often And you know it's so sad because in Jesus Christ part of the word of the gospel is the very real possibility that there can be domestic harmony restored care The gospel is to do with domestic things husbands and wives together I was up in Wales a little while back and visiting the home of one couple. We had a little meeting in the house and this couple said to me, the lockdown's the best thing that ever happened to us. How so? And they said, we never prayed together. We've been married 30 years, never prayed together. We have never read the Bible together. We just felt drawn to read together, to pray together, to humble ourselves before God together. It's been wonderful. And it's like a fire's been lit in our hearts. That's the way they talk to me. Just that, that language. Just that language. <coughs> Hallelujah. That's part of the gospel domestic harmony. Oneness of mind. Oneness of heart. Paul came to preach this, you see. And of course, if you're familiar with books that are written nowadays, cut the preaching short. Well, some preaching needs to be cut short. You might think mine needs to be cut short right now. But (laughs) you know what I mean. Some things are best not heard. But I tell you, Paul came to preach And not many wise, not many noble, all this. And let's finish off with just a little bit from the end of the chapter where Paul carries on. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him, who's the him? It refers back to God. God, verse 27, twice. God, verse 28, God has chosen, God has chosen, God has chosen. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his, God's presence, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus. I wonder if anyone's got another translation there that says this that God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Anyone got that word source? S O U R C E? So what does your Bible say? Does it say, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, of, because of him? Of him. You know, it's one of those tiny little Greek words, in these little tiny prepositions. It means, out of him, You are in Christ Jesus. That is, out of his choices, out of his will, out of his begetting, out of him. That's your origin, that's your source. It it wasn't your idea, it wasn't even Jesus' idea. It was the Father's idea. And it wasn't just an idea or an ideal. It was a determined purpose. Out of him, sourced in him, is your life in Christ Jesus. Of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Do I, I, you know this is one of the sad things about being a preacher? You can't make people see But you know, he put you in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, doesn't he? How does he carry on? He says this, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's... Jesus, do you remember the old garden, the Garden of Eden? Do you remember there was one river in it? Do you remember that? And it watered all the garden. And then it says something very strange. It broke into four heads. Isn't that strange? That's the opposite. That's the opposite. You know, a river, you know, four heads turn into one. When I was in Khartoum, living there for a while, you know, a long while ago in Sudan, it was the place where the blue and the white met. And then they made one river that was a mixture of blue and white, and then it lost its distinctions and flowed up through Egypt and out into the Mediterranean. but this river in 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 the Old Testament in the garden watered the garden and it broke into four heads, and when Jesus God puts you out of him, you are placed in Christ Jesus who becomes unto you four heads. Strange, isn't it? Flows into you. In what? Oh, you Corinthians, you're so stupid that you realize that Jesus is made unto you wisdom. And what's the other ones? Sanctification. What's righteousness? Redemption. He's... Oh... Is it making sense? You know... Jesus becomes to you and in you something that streams in you that, that makes you increasingly wise you know the spirit that's in this world do you know what it's doing to people making them mad stupid insane that's what it's doing you say oh Bernard what are you talking about Romans chapter 1 three times the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Verse 18, Romans 1. Because what may be known about God, they've rejected and so on. It goes on. Then he says, wherefore God gave them up. That's his wrath. God gave them up to sensuality and sexual malpro practice and immorality and they still didn't change and then God gave them up second time God gave them up this time to work that which is unseemly between them physical man with man woman with woman and, all, and receiving in themselves the just recompense of their reward and he hasn't finished that yet because then the wrath of God that's moving just in the processes of life you go into stupidity of immorality this is America, this is England this is Europe went into immorality, the breakdown of family, all the rest of it inevitably leads to homosexuality God gave them up and then they go into their homosexuality and the last God gave them up he gave them up to a worthless mind worthless mind we have to understand this worthless mind Elon Musk a worthless mind let's put a chip in a pig next thing let's put a chip in a little baby let's put a chip worthless mind anti-God and we could go on like this evil can only increase you know why because the methodologies it now has are far more than the methodologies it had to use 120 years ago the worthless mind. And this is where we're at. But we're, we're growing in the same field. And unto us is given how much I rely on this. That From God the Father. He is, from him is coming in his Son. Wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption its coming. It's time. I should stop. Amen. Amen. This, you'll appreciate, is to be continued in some detail and particulars in 1 Corinthians there are two letters in the New Testament that really concentrate on the church Ephesians is one and that will talk much about the inward life of the church it's beauty in Ephesians the church is the bride of Christ or the body of Christ the family of the Father, the brotherhood. It's, it's wonderful. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost, church. 1 Corinthians is the other letter, especially, but it's very practical. Now, I've tried to begin where Paul begins, trying to bring them back. Now, this is where it all began this is where it all began why have you departed from there Then you'll go on with wonderful things well I hope it's been helpful to you Uh, may God bless his word unto our hearts and glorify his name I don't know whether, you know, sometimes God gives his word to make us a praying people more than we've ever been. Oh, Lord, your church, your precious church, (laughs) and you're right outside the Anglican down the road, or the Baptist in Bovey, you're not thinking in that way. You're just thinking about God's precious people in all of them. You know, and the ones He wants to add, and the gifts He wants to release. Amen. Amen. Why don't you say, to him what you want to say <laughs> you know in the light of these, these things why don't you just say to him what you want to say in your heart we mustn't sit aloof we mustn't we mustn't distance ourselves there's only one way there was a vision a long time ago one of the churches we were at of a lot of young men standing on the seashore sandy seashore and running in the water and paddling around in the water a bit and going out and in, the in and out and in and out and then something happened one or two of them just seemed to go in stay in went in and in and in and in and they just were lost in the waters and I think that that's quite an apt picture of what call, the Lord calls us to He says to us, will you come in, will you come in will you lose your life for my sake Will you let me be the Father who begets you and reveals to you my Son? Ah. Yes, Lord. So you just talk to him as you want. Hallelujah. Everyone. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Father, Mm. thank you, Father, yes, Lord, oh, Father, thank you.